0: My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's people, So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes you will find answers, you will find guidance and most of all you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes and some of them are not child friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. Okay, Um, my name's Kendra Houseman, and these interviews are for Blondie's People. People that I would uh, aspire to be like now, but if they'd been there for Blondie when she was younger, life could have been different. So here we are. Who are you, and why are you here?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm Giselle Feeney from Birmingham. I am a social worker. You are? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here to support the cause, as I always have done since I was 16 years
0: old. Yes, you have. We're going to talk about two different parts of your life, right? So first, we're going to talk about the social work part, okay? So social work has always been a big part of my life, from a little kid up until today I'm dealing with social workers, okay? Now, I don't know if you describe yourself like this, or other people do, but you are the expert when it comes to exploitation and adolescence. You are, because I've worked with you and I've seen that. So what's your feeling about how's all this going to impact all the lockdown, everything that's happening on the young people that are involved in exploitation?
1: I'm so glad that you asked that question, Kendra. I'm so worried. And anybody who knows me knows that I've expressed this worry. Um, Lockdown is important. Health before wealth. Um, But in terms of the kids, what they've done is they've, lock them down if anything in their homes which aren't always a safe place yes home can be a really dangerous place for a child so on my mind have been all the kids that are being sexually abused you know physically abused on a daily verbally abused on a daily main carers for parents who may not be well and where is their support during this lockdown we talk about food parcels to the elderly but who's actually checking in on those kids? And it's really difficult for social services to try and adapt to this new way of working when actually the front door can't be open for a variety of reasons. So if you've got a family who are isolating, and I'm not saying that families aren't isolating for the right reasons, but you may have a family who's isolating. They could be a child who's, starving to death in there and we can't even get in and the same goes for the police so it does worry me greatly you've also got this the flip side where you're putting immense amount of pressure on teenagers and parents you're putting them in a position where they've had to live together for more time than they ever have done in their lives so my concern is about the increase in Child to parent violence, as well as parent to child violence. Again, this is all going on in those four walls. Nobody knows what is going on in that household. So I do get worried about that. I get worried about how teenagers are feeling. Um, Some of the teenagers that I've spoken to are feeling low. Friends are an important part of their lives. They're not able to contact them. They may have. Face time, WhatsApp, but physical contact is so much more important than a device. And what we found um, currently in Kent is that um, teenage boys are now more at risk of committing suicide. I feel like we haven't had as much exposure about the teen suicides across the UK um, since lockdown. And to me, that's negligence. So. I'm extremely worried and I think that the government need to look at ways to reintegrate kids back into society. I'm worried that they've locked them away and when it's time for them to come out, some kids are gonna have stress, anxiety issues, they're not gonna be able to socialise. And again, this is because we're all on lockdown, but there's no end goal, there's no plan of what, what these kids are gonna See life post lockdown. Yeah.
0: I mean, and another thing, we don't work directly together, but we work in the same field. I'm having straps and, you know, big meetings um, via Zoom or on the phone, and it just isn't the same because you can't gauge the parents' reaction or whatever. So we're having these, or I'm bringing children and asking, are you okay? Is everything okay? Without that face to face interaction, I'm missing things. I know I am because I would pick up on things if they were in front of me. So what you're saying is it's really important.
1: I mean, put it this way. You could call Jamal, for example. I'm just pulling a name out of hat As a social worker and be like, hey, Jamal, how's things at home? You're going to get one word answers. Fine. Unless you have a really good relationship with that kid, it's one word answers. Unless you're actually really smart in how you ask those questions, it's going to be one word answers. You actually don't know whether he's got a knife held to his throat and whether he's in a trap house Exactly. But he's picking up the call and saying, yeah, I'm fine. How are things with mum? Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. But you actually can't see what is going on on the other side.
0: Do you think, I, I, I say this a lot and I ask a lot of people, do you think we're going to see a spike in exploitation, county lines, as we start coming out of lockdown, do you think we're going to see a surge of it or do you think it's exactly the same the whole time that we've been in lockdown?
1: I think it's, it's gone up 100%, 100% because what we've got is that cycle of abuse. Um, particularly, I get worried about kids that are misusing drugs okay. and how they are being groomed and exploited yeah. um, through not just county lines but just drug dealing okay. on a local, a local level. Um, kids are, are abusing drugs. Yeah. Because of the circumstances that they're in, they're trying to find escapism. Yeah. And if you can't afford to pay those drugs, we all know how they've got to to get yeah. that money to pay that drug debt off. So I think that it's more right. I think the use of Snapchat where drug dealers are crafty, they're doing far and get one free deals. But now because it's lockdown, they're doing a lockdown deal yeah. where you can get free for the price of two. And kids are really buying into that yes. because it's escapism. It's so es- I, do, I do feel worried about what is going on. Um, and in extension to that question, I worry because police resources aren't focusing on that at the moment. No. They're focusing on making sure that a family of apes aren't in the park. It's true. <laughs> They're down it's now.
0: the truth, yeah.
1: Whereas you've got kids who might have been locked in a house in Norwich for two weeks, He's not eating, and mum doesn't know where they are.
0: I spoke to somebody in, in promotion, you'll see the video come out, but somebody who speaks for yacht, sorry, and they said that they've just seen a steady, a steady stream of these young people coming through because debts are accumulating and they're getting caught because they're more visible on the street. And it's like, do you really think the dealers are going to be like in lockdown and have the time off? Nah, it's, still, it's just there waiting, do you know what I mean?
1: Do you know what we're seeing? Kids are going missing, but parents aren't reporting it. Really? And then we're not seeing them regularly because of the lockdown rules. And so we've got a wave of kids who are just going under the radar. So that does concern me as well. And trying to get the parents to come on board to report them as missing is really difficult because, again, they might have stuff going on at home that they don't want services to know that because they're, they're fearful of the repercussions
0: absolutely um
1: so it, it's a really scary time for kids at the moment
0: that's what I think I think that we've got a lot of kids who are scared but don't know what to do they, they usually would go to school and it would come out there but right now they're in lockdown what do you think we just talked about the the kids need to be run back slowly but what and we've talked about this what needs to change around exploitation and stuff like that for young people what does what needs to happen out there to make this start to get better?
1: So we just had a conversation about this, which is quite crazy. Because I think that you bounce off me and I bounce off you. Absolutely. It's just a brilliant idea. Um, I, I think that exploitation towards children, um, particularly serious um, youth violence as well, gang-related violence, organised crime, We should be treating that in the same ways which we have the Channel Panels. So if anyone doesn't know Channel Panel, it is a panel of professionals um, who are working with one individual. Um, It could be a child, it could be an adult. um, And it's to try and steer them away from extremism, terrorism and radicalisation. So it's those three things all in one. And what they do on this panel is they work intensively with this young person, they create a bespoke plan to uh, help them steer away from that, where, yep. whereby they could create serious harm to people in society. So when we were having the conversation, I was thinking, why don't we have that for those kids no. that are on the periphery where they're being yeah. exploited and they're, they're turning to the exploiter. You know, that, that would be the turning point to have a panel of professionals working with them on all different things to to stop them from getting involved in a lifestyle that is intergenerational, as you know, Kendra. Yeah. You know, it doesn't just stop. When that young person has has been exploited and they turn into the exploiter, they're exploiting more children. Those children are then turned to exploiters and it's a oh. vicious cycle. So I think that uh, you might need to talk to the MOJ and see... Uh, What they are going to do about this? Because we're pumping all this money into terrorism, really. We have terrorism on our own streets, which are these organised crime groups exploiting our kids, treating them as slaves, abusing them, mistreating them, and getting them to um, engage in acts where, you know, they've been exposed to incredible amounts of trauma. Yes.
0: Yes. It's good that you say that because i'd like to remind people why they're here so we've led into it so i I asked why you're here you're a social worker you're part of the cause the reason you're here is right now as an adult we've worked together and i think we both just fascinate each other on the levels that we work at your passion inspires me and i love working for you so as an adult you're somebody i always want around me but as a young person as i said to you earlier if you had been my social worker as blondie at 15 I think my life would have been different because you would have not given up on me. There wouldn't have been a point where you would would have blamed me. You would have seen everything that was going on. Your contextual safeguarding of me as a 15-year-old would have probably saved what happened to me, if that makes sense. So that's why you're here. But you're always here now. You're here for another reason as well. Because even though you are a social worker, let's talk about believing B. Now... The social work is already a deep part of what I believe in, but we're going to get to a next level now. So let's start at the beginning. What is Believing in Being? Why did it come about?
1: So those of you that don't know, um, my sister died at the age of 25. Um, Circumstances of her death are still um, unknown, under investigation, and we have to just wait for evidence to to come forth in the future in order to to progress with that. Um, but she died in really tragic circumstances. Um, she was in an abusive relationship with someone who she'd only been with for eight months. The signs were there. Um, she had conversations with family members um, about red flags, those initial red flags that you, you would get in a relationship, such as not being able to talk to other people. Um, this person would try and um, take time away from her and her kids he would say um, really negative things about her appearance. But also, um, because she was of mixed race descent, her dad is Irish and Welsh and her mom is uh, Black, British, Jamaican. He would also make racial comments towards her about her ethnicity. So these, these were things that you would call red flags, where you'd be like, girl, get out. But the issue with my sister is that this was just another man in a long line of relationships where she'd been um, domestically abused over time. So she was a victim of teen domestic violence. She got into her first domestically abusive relationship at the age of 14 and um, she was pregnant at the age of uh, 15, gave birth at 16. So this was not new to her. If anything, this was her way of life and she didn't see any difference. She knew that you can have different relationships. She saw the relationships with her parents. She saw the relationships that her sisters had with um, their partners. But in terms of her self-worth, she didn't see that. She felt that that's all she could get. And so that became a norm. So imagine always having domestically abusive partners. You just think that that was the norm. No. And, you know, this is my sister here. Everyone thinks she's absolutely stunning, beautiful. She thought that she was the ugliest person in the world. She used to hate her skin, her hair, her weight, anything that she could pull apart, she would do that. And that was because of systematic domestic abuse over time, whereby she never saw herself as the image to what we see her. Um, It's not a secret, and if you go on the Leaving Be um, Foundation website, you will see her story. She was also a victim of child sexual ex- abuse as well, mm-hmm. and was missed by the system. Um, so my mom has been in the position of parents today who are trying to find where their daughters are or sons are, um, don't know who they're with, uh, reporting what their last were, and in some cases, having that door shut by professionals, yes. whereby they're saying, this is your problem, this is not ours. And on. I think the difficulty with my parents is that the door was always closed for Bianca because she came from a good family. Yeah. So there was this myth in social services, and I can say this because I am a social worker, that if you come from a good family and mother and father are okay, then well, we don't need to know you. Get on with it and you know I'm lucky that my mum is uh, as passionate about the cause as what I am and that's why I've always been a social worker because I know how important it is for people to be heard and listened to Mm -hmm. and to access that support and so my mum single-handedly tried to do that with her daughter but what professionals don't realise is that it's not always the parent's job and I think contextual um, safeguarding has has kind of brought back to the forefront, Carleen Fermin, her theory that actually, it's not about safeguarding in the home, no. it's about safeguarding the outside of the home. Yes. And that's where, you know, services miss the buck with my sister. And as usual, with victims of CSC and teen domestic abuse, they feel that they are victim-shamed and victim-blamed. Um, and having read a lot of chronological reports about my sister, a lot of, um, you know, important moments were missed. And it wasn't just by social services. It was by all services, from mental health to your health services, your education, yep, everywhere. I mean, this is a girl that was so closed off to the world and so mistrusting of professionals that when she was stabbed three years ago in her stomach she got on a bus bleeding to my mum's house, the bus driver had to call my mum on her phone and say your daughter won't let me take her to hospital, she's saying that she's not going to go to hospital until you get there people on that bus must have been absolutely horrified for what they saw but this is a girl that just knew that, you know, if I'm going to get any support in the world, it's going to be from my family because it's not going to be from anyone else. And hospital had to attend the scene once my mom got there. She had to go to hospital. She stabbed in the stomach. She's holding her stomach for a thirty-minute bus journey once the bus driver's bleeding. So that's the effect that domestic violence can have on you mentally, where you feel so closed off, so switched off to professionals. That you don't even want to accept help from strangers in, in your most need, time of need. And I know that our kids feel that as well.
0: Yeah. The thing is, is when you're talking, it's like hearing my own story. And the worst thing for me, and this is why I believe this is so powerful for me, is that when I spoke out um, about my domestic abuse, the first thing that was said to me was, you, you what you suffered that. And it made me, it was victim shaming. I was like, so then I had to step back and thought, well, what do you mean somebody like me because I'm powerful because I speak people don't understand that it is it's a form of abuse it wears you down and and mm. I used to always surround myself with the same kind of men because that's just what I knew and so when you're talking to me it's almost like yeah that could be that could have easily been me because I led myself into them situations all the red flags, bing 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 and i'd just be like oh i can change him or it'll be okay so when you're talking and
1: this is this is why our charity does what it does because we're a trauma-based charity that works with domestic violence because what you'll find when teenagers particularly have been abused to a point where they're just experiencing repeat trauma trauma after Mm -hmm. trauma after trauma emotionally you can't regulate no you know there's something in your brain that switches off and you it turns into fight or flight response so when a victim becomes scared or feels uneasy or uncomfortable because they feel there's threat coming towards them you will see anger yeah. but in actual fact it's not anger this is how they shield yeah. themselves
0: yeah, really- and
1: so with that anger you can be labeled uh, particularly by the police as being disorderly you know um having conduct issues um as a mental health worker, too dangerous to work with. Yeah. We need two people to see that one person. And then you've got
0: education, added- disobedient, not following the rules. Do you see what I mean? And then you've got the added pressure of having children. So, so like B, I had children. So, you know, when you, this stuff is going on, you know if you speak out about certain things, will it affect you and your children's relationship? Oh, 100%. It's your age, I mean. And people don't realise there's fear you know you can keep your children safe but if you speak out are they going to take my kids away so when you're talking there's just hundred percent yeah and she had
1: services involved
0: and then the reason why she had services involved
1: is because there was a huge incident that occurred as soon as she gave birth to her her second child she was with um another one of the children's um fathers there's three kids two dads and you know with with the children's father he is also a victim of domestic abuse and trauma yeah. the cycle continues oh. the cycle continues and you know he wants to get involved in the charity, but he's not in a place at the moment mm. but i would love for him to to be on the other side because yeah he has been a perpetrator of domestic abuse but actually he he wants the world to know his journey yes And it will come and maybe we do need this panel where we're working with those on the, on the periphery.
0: What does, what does um, Believe in be? people want to go in there and have a look, what does it offer, what are you doing?
1: So we're a bespoke service. When I say bespoke, for those that don't know what that word is, it means that it's your plan and it's whatever support you need. So we don't have a tick box exercise. We're not here saying it's a one-size-fits-all service, and we're, ne- we're never gonna be. We're a charity that will be moving with the times, uh, and and keeping in touch with what's going on for all of our um, clients and they are clients because actually we're serving them yeah um so we work with um, children aged between 10 all the way up to young adulthood which is 27 some people say why 27 a lot of research goes through that pinnacle about 27 that's one of the most influential um points Mm. of a person's life um in terms of Young adulthood to adulthood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we chose 27 for a reason, because actually we want to try and make changes for those who are progressing into adulthood, yeah. um, who, who would like to have families and like to have better lives and like to get into work, but still haven't been able to because of the system and their circumstances that have put them in that position. Yeah. So we're a charity that won't come to you and say, we're going to do this, that and the other. We, we will hold your hand, but you're going to lead us and that's the way it's going to be. We're a strengths-based charity, um, so we look at what strengths you have and we just help you build on that. Well, um, in terms of the work, we, we've got mentors, who so you'll be working solely with that individual, but also we'll be offering group work sessions um, in the near, near future to try and create a family, a community around that person um, those group work sessions will focus on what those individuals in the group want us to focus on okay so again we're not a one-size-fits-all service I don't want to do group work on motivational interviewing I'm not saying that elements of our interventions won't incorporate some of that it will yeah, yeah but it will be about key things that the group feel we need to discuss where were you based so at the moment, we're based in Birmingham. So we're a West Midlands charity. Um, we, we do want to branch out into South East, but Birmingham obviously has a special place in my heart because it's where I grew up. Yeah. It's where Bianca died. And it's where we felt um, there was that lack of support. And, and structurally, we want to try and bridge that. We're In saying that we're not a one-size-fits-all charity, that is true. So we know that there are certain things that we won't be able to do. But part of our work is to make sure that our clients have those services. So if we need to make the necessary referrals, we will do that as well. But again, we're not going to fill out a piece of paper um, and send that off to a service. We're actually going to lead you to that service, We'll help you get into that service, We'll you know attend the first couple of meetings with you if that's what you want. We, we will do what that client needs us to do in order to help them on that path of, of change.
0: I hope by putting this out there, like when this all goes out, you know, people will tap into it and maybe the the links that we've got in Birmingham, you can all feed off each other and become that wraparound care. That's what I that's my sort of dream, if you like.
1: Yeah, that would be absolutely amazing. That would be amazing for Birmingham. I know that people in Birmingham They're very precious about Birmingham. We're all very proud of Birmingham, but we, we Birmingham knows that we also need to do better. We all need to come together. So I think that'd be an amazing idea.
0: Before we go, we're going to touch on something. We discussed it and we said, "Yeah, we're going to do it." So, like you said, Bianca received racial abuse from her own partner, and everything that's going on, which is is causing a lot of emotions. A lot of people. I've told you, I've lost a lot of friends. Um, not they died. I've cut them out because of their views. So, shall we touch on Black Lives Matter? Because I know how. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Tell us, tell us what's been winding you up? Because I've just been on your Facebook, so we know what it is. But just pretend I don't know what's happened.
1: So, those of you who are on my Facebook, they know <laughs> that I'm a very positive person, very calm. Um, but yes, this morning I just had enough. I, I'm. I am so annoyed with the lack of understanding around Black Lives Matters, and I'm so fed up of hearing all lives matters. We know all lives matter. Why, why are we saying that? That's just like saying women and men should all have equal rights. We know that. But we know that women disproportionately do not have equal rights and that's why we have um, women's movements to try and bridge that that gap yes so i don't understand why people don't understand that black lives matters is about bridging the gap all lives matter we know but there are some gaps in society where by systematically and over time we have been slaughtered by by the system and there's been a lack of challenge because black people have been fearful of the repercussions so it's it's been Almost, and it's obviously a, a topic that's very close to my heart. But it's almost as if you have to suffer in silence in order to make sure that your family are okay, and that's not okay. That's not how racism is stamped out. And I was talking to one of my friends the other day, and they laughed at me because they're like, "What is going on, Giselle? Why is? You know, why are we finding all of these racist posts on social media at the moment?" And I said to my friend, "I'm not going to name the person's name." I was like, "Because it's neo-racism." She laughed at me. She's like, did you make that term up? I was like, "Mm, no, I didn't. I do study sociology, but I like to think I'm in touch with society as well. Neo-racism is what, this is what I think neo-racism is. I like you because you're black, but I hate you because you're Romanian. But I'm not racist because I like black people. Or I'm not racist because I've got Pakistani uh, cousins. But... I don't like Indian people.
0: I don't like I don't, I don't like
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm not going to eat Chinese because of Corona. Yeah. So we've got to a point where stupidity yeah. has blindsided people to recognise what is racist and what is not. And I'm not here to school you on it, and I never will school anybody on racism, but what I will do is I will tell you that if you are racist, you are not part of my circle. Racism will always exist because we as humans have something called subconscious bias. So some people are born to dislike others because there is a superiority in their their minds, in their brains, about being more than somebody else and that is where the subject of white privilege comes into it and people get really touchy about white privilege and I I have to have these conversations with my husband because he is white (laughs) you know I have a mixed race child my child is always going to be considered black in in the eyes of society regardless (laughs) so people need to educate themselves we're not here to educate you go back and read books around slavery Find out about the whippings, how kids were hung to death for crimes that they didn't commit, how people were put in electric chairs for crimes that they didn't commit, or for petty crimes. And then we can have a conversation. And then we can talk about it. The yeah.
0: then, we... then I'll have a conversation in that... school Yes. I feel exactly the same. I'm privileged in the fact of that um, black history, culture, everything was just part of my life and my son's life. So so my oldest son, he's really struggling with this whole thing because he's like, why are people saying all lives matter? Because he's been brought up in a society and a culture where it was never viewed like that. So mm. uh, you know what he said to me, he's, and my son's obviously white, and he said to me, mum, I'm bored of trying to explain to people what it's about. It's like they need to be educated before they come and talk to me because just because I'm a white man doesn't mean I don't know. And for him to say that made me realise that actually, why are we trying to talk to people that haven't even educated themselves in the first place? Why we trying- I'm not
1: gonna I'm not gonna tear anybody down. But if you have racist views, I don't wanna know you. Because yep. until you can educate yourself on what racism is, please don't come to me. After you've educated yourself, any questions, I'm here to ask, you know. I had a very in-depth conversation with another friend the other day who gets it completely about systematic racism. Again, they don't understand. In America, we have prisoners making batteries and sock linings and, you know, shoelaces, majority black and Hispanic uh, prisoners doing that because actually you've, you've got companies who want there to be prisoners in order to make profit. people are getting arrested and put in prison for ridiculous crimes, crimes that some of them haven't even committed, so that they can deliver what um, Marxist views would say, the means of production. The means of production is the goods, the goods that keep us going in society. If you're a prisoner, you've got no rights. You have to make it, and that's that. In America, it can cost a prisoner £20 for a 10-minute phone call. Phone companies are exploiting prisoners. So that is why Black Lives Matter across the world, but also in America, because it's being used as a mechanism to to make money and and profit huge organisations. You know what? But again, we're getting a little deep. And people
0: yeah. need to educate themselves. I think how we we'll end this is, right, and I think to make it not complicated, because this has been a very deep uh, conversation, I think we'll end it like this. For both of us, you're black and white. If you're racist, just don't chat to us. We don't want to be about it. That's simple, isn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think that's, that's the way it is. And if you want to be racist, God. you can be racist with your own racist people. Yeah. And have your own views. Just don't come knocking on our door. Don't want to hear it. No.
0: I have loved interviewing you. We had like half hour before this where we just ate up our time. I know. to speak. But I, have you enjoyed your interview? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think, you know,
1: if I wanted to give a message, kids are very important to me. Um, always have been, always will be. Um, I've worked with, kids who have been written off read the file Giselle read the file I remember when I used to work like, in children's homes it's like oh you've got to watch that kid or this kid or oh, you've got to read the file and
0: this kid exactly. like, do you know what I never read the file Kendra no
1: I, I never read the files
0: because I, I don't care after, yeah I read the file usually after unless I have to but I deal with the child yeah. and I'm like, let me go and look at the file and see what we're dealing with
1: here. yeah I mean maybe back in the heyday when I uh, to be fair i was like eighteen, nineteen when i started working in children's homes but i just never read the file because that's i'm i'm not about that i'm not here to judge you because of how you you was brought into the system but what i will do is i'll teach you about the future so i think that's kind of my my legacy that's what i always kind of cling on to you have a future you're going to do better and i've had people that I've worked with say, do you really believe that? Just say, oh, of course I believe that. What don't you believe in that? Wait, wait until you come to me in five years' time. You're always going to have a struggle. That's what life is about. I do believe that life is, is our experience of hell, and you've just got to get through it and then you'll go to the pearly gates <laughs> once, once you, you leave past your new. But in terms of life, it's going to get tough and it's just about you, your resilience and trying to get through that and then you'll look back on it and say oh my god i did that
0: you're i and i know you're like that because i know what you're like as a person and that's exactly why you are and always will be part of what i class as blondies people so thank you thank you <laughs> bye to
1: everyone thanks everybody bye and apologies about my terrible brummy accent <laughs> well. can't change it